0: Welcome to The Core Podcast, brought to you by core to cloud We talk about all things cybersecurity, about the latest technologies, the insights, the learnings, and also a little bit about our culture in this ever evolving environment. I'm Kelly and I head up the marketing department.
1: And I'm Phil from the technical team, and we're going to take you through all our technology in a really interesting way.
0: Phil talks technical while I keep it lighthearted and remove all the jargon. We also have a selection of guest speakers, including a few people popping in from the Call to Cloud team. So let's dive in. Welcome to the episode of the podcast today. I'm really delighted to have Dan with us here in the studio. And of course, Phil is joining us nice and virtually so we can see you on the screen. Um, Dan, for anyone that doesn't know you, um, could you give us a bit of an introduction about yourself um, and how you've ended up
2: on the podcast, I guess, today? Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be here. So thanks for the invite. Uh, my name's Dan Potter. I am the Director of Operational Resilience at Immersive Labs. I've joined at the end of May having spent the last 16 or 17 years actually in financial services working for Citibank in various roles around business continuity management, third party risk, crisis and incident management and then most recently focused on operational resilience.
0: So uh, let's go roll back on the financial bit because that's obviously how you've ended up at at this role. What were your kind of key Um, I guess, the things that you had to do on a day-to-day, what were you looking at and how did it kind of overlap in, I guess, in the cybersecurity world?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I would sit next to our cybersecurity team and my day-to-day responsibility was overseeing the business continuity operational resilience function and as part of that, delivering exercising for our senior management and our different business lines to understand if they were prepared to respond to any threat, any disruption, and then understand if we could recover in time against our certain obligations or service levels. And we would partner very closely with the cyber threat exercise team. Mm-hmm. And we started to integrate those exercises together because it doesn't matter what the cause is, it's yep. the same kind of challenges, it's the same kind of problems, and it's the same kind of people that need to be involved in the response.
0: Okay, so that's how you that kind of collided and the worlds collided yeah. with the technical and, right, yeah. and the and so risk. I
2: came from a sort of more business, non-technical background. Yeah. Working with the technical guys who are brilliant and really good at scaring everyone around. This is what will happen under a cyber attack. And everyone going, I don't, I don't even know what that, that means. means yeah. And then trying to translate that to he wants to do this or she wants to do this. And they're going to stop something working. This is what it means for the business. Is this the right decision? Do we understand the protocols around it? So that kind of threading the two together.
0: And I'm guessing in your career span there, that evolved quite rapidly in the sense that you know, digitalisation, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if you were around the COVID period, but people mm-hmm. moving to that. So I'm guessing what you dealt with at the beginning of your career changed yeah. quite quickly or, or yeah, you so, saw a difference?
2: Yeah, that's no, a great point. So I joined Big American Bank in 20, 2006, 2007, yeah. working in New York, where business continues to be planning the big disruption was all around a big hurricane, sort of a natural disaster or a terrorism threat. And those are really significant threats, right? Yes. But they are relatively contained and localized, as as traumatic and terrible as they are. Mm. What we saw with increasing digitalization, great progress. I mean, digital economy really takes off and really makes things easier for the business. It's a great enabler, but it obviously increases the risk. And toward the end of my time in financial services, we could easily talk about a scenario where there is a cyber attack or a disruption that could impact hundreds, if not thousands, of teams globally at the same time. And historically, we'd been preparing for one disruption in New York or in London or in Manchester or wherever it may be. And all those teams being in, impacted in some way, but it being relatively contained. And I think that's what really I've seen the challenge of. Now we could see an entire organization paralyzed through a simple a cyber attack, yeah
1: we've obviously been looking into this because we're delivering a service around immersive labs. And when you start to look at it, only one in five organizations have really got a formal instant management plan. And when you start to look at that, along with the lack of testing, you can see why when something bad happens, people just, they're really not prepared, are they? It's really important to be sort of regularly testing these plans as well as having them in the first place.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, it's all about that rehearsal and building that muscle memory. And we found, you, know, you can create these wonderful incident response plans and absolutely you have to have them. But I've also run through real crisis events where no one pulls out the playbook or no one knows where to find it or they forget it's there. It's because we hadn't rehearsed them about the protocols and procedures. And you can often have this kind of tension almost where you've got the business continuity the crisis management team that have created this playbook, procedures, incident response plan, and they're very proud of that. But it's never actually used that frequently. And then when it is used, it goes out the window because the business are involved in a very different way. And it's because we're not necessarily having that feedback loop about how do you exercise, how do you get that engagement, and then how do you validate that it's the right document and it meets the needs of your executive management team or your operations team or your marketing team or whoever it may be. And I think I,
1: that's very important what you're saying because it's it, about the exec team because one of the things we all try to drill into people is this isn't just about IT, it's about the whole business, isn't it? Um, and I think, you know, one, one of the examples, you, you, you talked to me about, Kelly, I think this came from somebody else at Immersive Labs, was it's a bit like first aid training. You know, you've got a certificate, but if someone's on well, would you be able to do CPR or would you be able to know?
0: We've had a great, yeah, we've had a great day. we have here, Dan's with us all day, filled for content. And um, we we were kicking this around because even if you are, health and safety trained we all get told don't we that you can break you may have to break someone's rib to do it cpr and we've all practiced on that dummy yeah and i said quote i don't know if i have the mindset if i had to do it to break someone's rib i hope i would but I, because i've never done it and i've never been put in that scenario i don't actually know my fight or flight or what yeah, my absolutely. i might freeze and we um a few months back my my daughter i uh, was on a Bouncy castle party. The kid launched off, didn't put her hands out, took her teeth out. (laughs) Terrifying. Um, Terrifying, blood everywhere. Her mum shut down. She shut down. She she didn't know how to respond. There was blood everywhere, and other dads picked her up and got her in the car, and she completely shut down. But no one can prepare you that as a parent of how you're going to react when your kid's really badly injured. And I think, I know it's cyber, but it's a very similar thing. We all know what we should do, we all have risk registers of how we should react. So, I guess it's putting but that into... It's
2: in that context, context it's rehearsing yeah. it, right? And it's whether you're you going to fight it, flight, or freeze. Like You don't know how you're going to respond until you're in the situation. So that's why you need these hyper-realistic exercises that really allow you in a safe space to go, actually, I wouldn't know what I'm doing in this circumstance or I wouldn't have that confidence. And you can build that confidence uh, and that capability over time, but you don't want to find that out on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I also I want to pick up, Phil, on your point about cyber is really, it's easy to just pass this off to, this is the problem of technology, obviously. So I've been in so many kind of conversations where that's come through of, yeah. great, this is this guy's problem to fix. Uh, you don't need me to do anything, just go and fix it. Fine, and by gosh, they can go and do all that really technical, complex stuff to fix it. You've got to be able to translate that to what this means for your business, whether you're a manufacturer of financial services, transport, logistics these guys are going to fix something but you're the one that's ultimately accountable for the business and it's your business is going to be disrupted in some way because of this cyber attack and you can't just delegate the responsibility right
0: so if anyone yeah. is going through this process right now and they do need to to test um what's the traditional way? how in your career did you do that because i know what we're talking today about how that's evolving and how immersive and quarter to cloud to help you. But what is it most people I mean I'm guessing not everyone has a version of you in their, your company. One, so how would they yeah. be doing that at the moment? And two, anyone that does have a version of you, what were you doing to do that free working with immersive labs?
2: Yeah, so some organizations will have dedicated exercise teams, so that's a luxury that few will have. Okay. Um the way to exercise and understand your incident response capabilities traditionally and we get on to how it's evolving and there's better ways of doing it is through a simple tabletop exercise so we'll almost get that playbook out create some very basic scenario that says something's happened what do we do do we know what to you know do we know what the procedure is and almost sort of powerpoint very linear very static and just walk through it
0: and that would be someone just uh, for example, if it was me and we were doing it at Core to Cloud, you'd just sit me in a room and answer some questions and we'd go yeah. for a PowerPoint, potentially.
2: Uh, yeah, or we would sort of create a background scenario that says, right, something's going to break today at quarter to Cloud. Okay. Get the management team around because it's a team dynamic. This is a team sport. It's not right. an ind- It's not just the technology, the CTO or the CISO's responsibility. It's got to be everyone. Okay. So you need to get everyone on, from your senior leadership around the table And talk through the decision-making process. And are they all clear on who's going to make what decisions? Does the CEO need to make every decision? No, absolutely not. They probably need to be out of the room and not involved. Okay. But some CEOs want to be and they can't help themselves. So, you know, the purpose of an exercise is to understand both the playbook and the procedures, but also the dynamics in the room. And, you know, some people can think they're being helpful, but actually really are not the right personality types in a crisis.
0: Interesting. I, I don't think I would be, I don't know. I've never been in a crisis. Phil, your background, obviously I know yours is NHS. Did you ever have to do these exercises as a team or was that ever, you know, yes. yeah?
1: Um, yeah, we, we did them kind of more of a kind of an organisation and it was okay. coming together. I'd say they create a scenario and you go through it and you would sort of, you would as best you could follow your processes through. I think the way that Immersive works is it's much better bringing in, the people all the processes and the technologies and the, the way that they kind of you can customize your own scenarios but the way that they are even the out-the-box ones work they're very well thought out and can work across many different sectors so i think it's as yes you can do something yourself but it's the time and the thought that's gone into these things and also the participation because the way if you've got something as a powerpoint it's hard to include everybody Whereas the way that immersive works is you can have those group discussions, but everyone can get an individual vote as well. So it's very inclusive and you can bring it across all the different teams. So I think it's, and just just the way it's presented, people are generally a lot more engaged. And if you've got people's engagement, then you're gonna get proper thoughts through proper conversations. I mean, we, we've run these quite a few times with customers. Um, and sometimes it's really interesting where we get taken down and we we start you know we, we sometimes have people that have been in the company a long time telling new people how things used to work and how they work now and how things have improved and you know where things are going so it can be a real kind of a team building exercise as well as going through your instant management plan so yeah they've been really good
2: yeah
0: i think that leans on nicely then so obviously we've touched on your career how it how it grew how it changed how digitalization yep. had an impact you obviously had a niggle that maybe the way you the presentation thing wasn't working or was it by accident you found immersive how how did that evolve for you
2: yeah so um we we'd been running the same kind of format of exercise year after year the need to do exercising in a large financial service organization was only ever increasing right because of the different threats the scale and scope and complexity of those organizations so we needed a way to do it much more efficiently to make the job selfishly uh, easier for the facilitator. So to your point, Phil, like it can be really hard to facilitate those exercises because you need to bring everyone in the room together and get them all engaged. If if you're really going to block out a couple of hours of really senior people's time to go through an exercise, you want them all to leave something, to take something outside the room. And that requires like pretty good facilitation skills, if if I can say it that way. The challenge is that's a potentially limited resource. But where what sort of hooked me into Immersive Labs was the platform can take a lot of the pressure away from facilitation because the way it displays the options that anyone can take and allows everyone, to your point, Phil, to be included in decision-making. It's not a really technical conversation. Everyone can have a viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Everyone can see the consequences of their preference of what action needs to be taken in which order it makes it easier to facilitate and it takes the pressure away so that you can really bring out a better conversation rather than you know i've had experiences where you deliver an exercise you say this has happened now what do we do and we've got stunned silence or this has happened now what do we do and you've got a really great CISO or technical expertise who just fills this void with like 40 minutes of
0: <laughs> really technical information oh,
2: no, it, which has lost everyone in the room right that's great but what what are you telling me
0: yeah I get that. I mean, we've we've run them before and I didn't realize actually how I'd, I know when Phil was like, oh, we're going to do it. You can be involved. You can you, even you can run one of these. I yeah. was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, yeah, yeah, get involved. And I know we did one and I can't remember which one it was. It might be the oil one or one of the ones that we did. And one of the points was making a decision on shutting all the social media down because the social media yeah. had been hacked. Yeah. Well, all the technical team were like, boom shut the social media yeah, down, course. kill it, kill yeah. the website, all gone, out. the problem's gone. And I sat there like, what are you talking about? No. And they were like, what do you mean no? And I was like, think of the years that you've built that up and the following yeah. and what does that show you to your customers that you just shut We'd it down and there's no communication. Like, yeah. But they hadn't seen it from yeah. that point of view. And I get it, the, the, to solve the problem, you remove where they've got in. you take out the social media, but... Yes, that's the playbook and that's what you should probably do. But the impact of that from a marketing perspective was huge. So I found it really interesting uh, because it wasn't just... And then there was HR conversations because of the person that, you know, hadn't changed their password and everyone had different opinions around yeah. the room. Um, but yeah, I, it made it real for yeah. everybody, like a, it a, a tangible...
2: It needs yeah. to be real and it's it's that it's a, everyone's got a different perspective, And your point there about the social media, you've spent years building that up. Just to turn it off is going to send all the wrong signals and undo all that good work. Yeah. That might not be like the right thing to do, actually. That might actually be really counterintuitive, but a security person by design is like just wants to shut down, protect safety. That's what they do. That's what their skill set is. But it's not always I mean, obviously, cybersecurity is like yeah, the thing, but you need to balance. But there's emotion, you in and, there's, to balance. and there's
0: and there's also your your value of your brand. Yeah. I mean, a lot of brands, not ours in particular, but retail and things. Yeah. a lot of their customer success or customer ops is run through social. Yeah, people at so and so, my yeah. delivery didn't turn up. They respond saying, I'm really sorry about that. Let's take this off. So much as you see, you know, you tweet Twitter something or tweet something and um, it gets an instant response. That's like a huge team now. Yes, for my company, maybe, you know, shutting off a little bit wouldn't be great. But for finance and retail, it just wouldn't be an option.
2: Yeah, it can be absolutely, yeah, it can be worse. And I think that's how you, you sort of about, like, why do we want to move away from that kind of approach and start using immersive labs? it was to make it more engaging. It was getting a bit tired. We were trying to do more and we needed to scale up because if you think we were exercising 20, 30, 40 senior execs in, in the room. Yeah. The decision-making and the conversation wasn't leaving that room. It wasn't filtering down to the team below them and the team below them and the team below them. And they're the people that are gonna first see the cy- signs of a cyber attack. They're the ones who are gonna make the initial response detection, escalation, all these great sort of frameworks that you might have. They're the ones that need to understand the conversation that's going on. They need to be engaged through this exercising because they are quite literally your first line of defense. And they're the teams that are going to actually now allow your organization to recover. But if they they can't sit in and see the execs battle it out between, you know, marketing wanna do this, public relations a different thing, and finance something else. So how can you take that kind of conversation and broaden it and get much more people in the room without you know having to facilitate six hundred people simultaneously, which would just not work. And that's where the online platform really helped. with yeah, that. Yeah, really helped.
0: Um, did immersive labs? Did you go out and source it? Did you think, oh, I need was I need to find something new? Or I mean, I know it was a big thing with Bank of England. Was that yeah? That yeah. You so that's that um.
2: Kind of sort of so I used to run. I co chaired the Bank of England Sector Exercise Group SEG. Um, and in 2019, City previous employer, sponsored something called the Commonwealth Cyber Declaration. Okay. As part of that, we'd committed to run cyber exercises across six nations in Africa and then expand it out to other geographies in conjunction with the local sort of UK foreign office and local banks and institutions. So it was really like a, an educational awareness session. And our challenge was to deliver simultaneously six exercises across Africa, right? Everywhere from Nigeria to South Africa, Tanzania, Uganda. We had the scenario and we were gonna deliver it in PowerPoint and we don't even, this is 2019. So before Zoom was a thing and before Teams on- Yeah, had re-escalated. Yeah, Yeah. really uh, what would look now an antiquated uh, um, video platform. And it was actually the Foreign and Commonwealth Office who came out to me and said, there's this small startup company that are doing some really interesting things around cybersecurity and simulation exercising. Uh, would you be interested in meeting with them? Yeah. So Immersive Labs rocked in to our office and they showed us their platform, instantly got it and was yeah. like, can you take this PowerPoint and make it much more interesting and engaging? Yeah, like and can we then run it simultaneously across... Ex- countries and everyone be able to see the results at the same time and they went yep and that was the start of that relationship so that all worked really well
0: you must have been so excited like i love it like from a marketing terrified but oh. yeah no
2: excited <laughs> like
0: when someone gives you a platform it's like you can do this yeah. at exactly the same time of automation and everyone gets all yeah. this information i'm like wow yeah. so there must have been a little bit of you like oh this is gonna make my life easier i know it was a new yeah. platform and it could fail and there was probably all those sides i, I think
2: it. we were i was really confident we were really confident that they would be able to deliver um, and it was, it took a lot of the stress away from us cool. because we would have had all the PowerPoint kind of logistics and coordinating six facilitators. All the, I think internally, Immersive Labs then were probably, uh, yeah.
0: Nervous. Nervous. Do you think they were, they like, were yeah. nervous.
2: They were running around behind the scenes, but it all worked perfectly yeah. on the day. So
0: they were probably just great for that uh, opportunity. Yeah.
2: And then we continued working with them on on various initiatives around Crisis Sim and helped them develop the product uh, further to where it is today. That's how I've ended up working with them. So over many years sort of, of
0: involvement. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I mean, obviously, you're you've seen it from its infancy. Could you talk to us a little bit about what you did on the development side? I know you've talked to me uh, offline about how you used it for benchmarking in your job. How I know there's lots of reports. I mean, Phil, you could probably talk about some of the reports that come out of the back end. But how has it evolved from that original thing that you yeah. that you did, and, and why is it so yeah. exciting now?
2: Yeah, it's it's a com- it looks completely different, and the capabilities are completely different to that first kind of use case that we had in 2019 for the. Um, those exercises across Africa and it's amazing about how quickly it's sort of really developed yeah so in terms of the functionality to vote and have everyone engage independently and then the decision pre- tree, like the thing that I've been really struck by was the they call it tree view that you can show all the different decision making consequences and assign different and ratings go, to it yeah. like that is great and you can spend hours sort of getting into how you like endless loops of decision making and sort of go back and choose your own adventure that's great and that allows participants to sort of play that and compete against each other like yeah. who's gonna it's not a race right but who's gonna come out of this exercise here's the best path you're gonna take the wrong path you're gonna take the wrong path you're gonna do it with loads of confidence you're still gonna take in the wrong path yeah or you're gonna take the right path but you're not really sure about it that data that comes out of the simulation is where the real value is, if that makes sense. Because in financial services, I'm sure it's in any industry, that little competitive element, that gamification, that makes it so much more interesting and engaging. And it's a good sort of way of you know, really confident in London really, really confident in New York, but they took the wrong decision. You know? Yeah,
0: because that's the thing you can see if someone's, yeah. uh, I'm right Phil, if I'm saying anything wrong here, you guys can correct me, but you can see if someone's doing, if they made a decision really confidently and wrong, or they made the right decision, but were a little bit more hesitant. So you can kind of see what that person is like and how you think they may react to something. Yeah. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously the financial sector is where your background comes from. And I yeah. know there is a, a due date kind of by the 2025. Um, Could you explain to anyone listening what's happening and what people need yeah, to be prepared for.
2: Absolutely, so sort long-standing the FCA, the PRA, so the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulatory Authority from the Bank of England, so the two regulatory bodies in the UK, have had requirements around annual business continuity tabletop exercising and cybersecurity exercising. Those kind of go back some time. Exercising is really important. Um, so the two principal regulators in the UK are the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulatory Authority from the Bank of England. And they've got kind of long standing requirements around doing a business continuity, tabletop exercise or a cybersecurity sort of penetration testing and all these kind of good things. Yep. In in the last few years, they've released some new guidance around operational resilience. And firms had until March of this year to do the first phase of implementation. And they have until 2025. To increasingly develop their programs and be fully compliant with the new operational resilience regulations. Okay, what does this mean? Basically, means any organisation regulated by the FCA or PRA need to identify what they call their important business services, and there's loads of definitions around this. Um, but they are the things, the outcomes that the financial service are delivering to their clients. So, you know, mortgage applications or mortgage disbursements. Uh, processing payroll, um, making welfare payments, whatever those business services are, each yeah. firm needs to be able to identify them. They then need to map them from an end-to-end perspective. So what are the different component teams, the different data sets, applications, third parties that are involved in delivering that outcome to a client, mm-hmm. right? And there could be many of those uh, across a business service and there's a lot of interconnectedness within the financial service industry. And then this is where the exercising and crisis simulation really comes into play. Um, you know, Once you've got this mapping of those different teams together, the regulation says you must apply severe but plausible disruption scenarios and set something called an impact tolerance. So an impact tolerance is saying, this service cannot be down for this period of time or without this level of processing, whatever that metric would be for more than let's say 24 hours or 48 hours because failure to bring that service back up is gonna result in material harm to an individual or to UK financial stability. Yeah. There's all sort of definitions around this. So firms have gotta figure out their important business services. They've gotta figure out when the failure to deliver those is gonna cause harm and to, who that, to whom that harm is gonna be caused. And then by 2025, they need to have a well-established program of severe but plausible scenario exercising, where they've got to assume disruption's gonna occur. It's not about stopping disruption. Disruption's gonna occur, and you need to figure out how you exercise all the teams involved in that business service against what they call a severe but plausible scenario. Now, what is that, right? A severe but plausible scenario, if we have sat in, around this table in 2019 and said, there'll be a war in Eastern Europe, we'll go through a global pandemic for two years, a sh- you know a cargo ship will block the suez canal for 2 weeks should have been like that's not stupid yeah yeah not going to happen get out <laughs> um but that's an example of a severe but plausible yeah. scenario that you could now play out and the most common severe but plausible scenario that we are all got to be concerned about is a cyber attack because a cyber attack is very plausible and the implications of it can be very severe on your organization particularly if you don't respond in that initial phase in the right way So you could lose your entire email system, you could lose your entire network, and that's gonna mean that you're not able to deliver your business service. That means you could cause harm to the market, right? And at the moment, everything we're hearing externally about mortgages and interest rates, imagine you've just bought your house, you've just agreed the interest rate, and you've got your sort of mortgage approval product done, your organization then has a cyber attack and you can't deliver that, and it's two weeks later before you can recover and now the interest rates have gone through the roof, you've created harm for that individual, yeah. and that's not acceptable.
0: Okay, so what is the impact then of getting ready? F- so for me, that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Well, my brain just went, oh my God, I that know. sounds like and a lot of work. I know, I was rambling
2: there, but yeah. No, no, no,
0: no, but you're covering the whole point. I'm assuming this doesn't just impact large banks?
2: No, this is everyone. So every organization within the FCA uh, remit will need to, have this program of work to identify the business services, set their impact tolerances, map their processes, and then undertake severe but plausible scenario testing. Severe but plausible is their terminology. And you need to do exercising across those business services. So, where traditionally you might just do your incident response team for your organization, you might just test your senior management, still do that. But now you've got to test your business services. And some firms might have three or four of those business services, and there might be five or six teams in each of those business services, and they've all got to go through an exercise. Uh, Some organizations might have 30, 40, 50 business services and hundreds of teams involved. So you've got to be able to scale up your exercising program and you've got to be able to show increasing maturity. And the regulators have basically said, you know, basic tabletop exercising, great for year one. You need to to be doing a lot better by 2025. And
0: what's the impact if you aren't doing better? Is it a slap on the wrist? Is
2: it a letter? It's a letter. A slap on the wrist would be the letter. Um, So if you're not in compliance with the regulation by 2025, um, there could be quite... I mean, depending on the size of your organisation and your systemic risk, there'll be different levels of um, sanction. But if you're not in compliance with the regulation by 2025, there could be sanctions against your company, your organisation. You've got the senior management accountability regime. So your SMF senior management functions, someone like your SMF 24, who's accountable for operational resilience. They're ultimately on the hook to make sure that your firm's in compliance by 2025.
0: OK, so it's a big job for that person. Yeah, uh, a massive they should job. be
2: worried. It, it, okay. But it's also an opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's an opportunity yeah. to, to, to obviously improve and, 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 and lead the way and be part pioneering on that i'm assuming not everyone has in their business a dedicated person to do that
2: no i so i would suspect a lot of um organizations don't certainly won't have necessarily a dedicated exercise team uh they may have someone who does business continuity okay uh, and they may have someone who's doing information security or a CISO type function. What we're starting to see is uh, those sort of roles grouped together okay. into a new operational resilience role or a chief operational resilience role. And if you think about what the regulator are really trying to get firms to do, is they're trying to make sure that you're all resilient enough to be able to withstand shocks, shocks caused by disruption, whether that's uh, terrible events in Eastern Europe inflation or most likely a cyber attack or a combination of all of those at the same time how can you quickly adapt to just recover from those shocks, Mm. absorb that into your organization and you need to be able to exercise your organization to build that capability that's what they're saying they want you to collect you to be more resilient more able to withstand and most importantly be able to deliver that outcome Whatever it is you do to your client, whatever, regardless of what's going on, because you're account—that's yeah, you're that's accountable.
0: You so trying to make you a bit more agile and flexible. Yeah, what could happen? Um, so my brain's still saying that that sounds like a lot of yeah. work, Phil. <laughs> um, so if there's anyone listening to that that would be in this role or know that might impact them or think, oh gosh, that's probably going to come my way if they're doing that in the financial sector, then it's probably going to roll out right. We can't just assume that these sort of regulations aren't going to just stay in one industry. Um, how as we and immersive labs and quarter cloud how are we looking to support going forward with this to make sure people you know are able to
1: exercise well you know we can offer Immersive labs in a couple of different ways to suit the organization Um, we can also help as much or as little as people want so we can provide them the product we can offer them fully customized exercises to their own environment or we can do tailored ones and the tailored ones again there's probably 40 or 50 you probably correct me how many but Custom ones already within the platform, and again, you're talking about the financial services um, side. There's tons in there that really fit well. You know, they've got um, ransomware ones around TravelX. They've got a chatbot hack. They've got supply chain compromise, password compromise, remote working issues, a global server hack. You know, there's and these these scenarios are based on real things that have happened. Um, and again, they're already really well thought through. The other thing to point out about these um, scenarios as well is that very different to a tabletop exercise they are not linear so again based on the decisions that your group make the scenario may go off in a slightly different direction um allowing you to sort of explore good and bad decisions and talk through them so i i mean i've done quite as you mentioned we run quite a lot of these now um and i've been through quite a few of these as you mentioned the pipeline ones i've been through some healthcare ones um you know i've even been through one around you know a well-known provider of automated cars that's you know an insider threat, taking some information out. And these apply across sector, really well thought out. And yeah, again, because they're not linear and they kind of, it's almost a group exercise. It's quite collaborative as well. So, yeah, again, we can help us, we can help deliver those. We can help customise them, uh, again, whatever people need.
2: I think also just, you know, sometimes I think we find if if companies are at the start of this journey Mm -hmm. around exercising, obviously you need to create exercises that are, Bespoke and specific to your organization and that's what the FCA, PRA, Financial Service Regulation will require. It's also really useful sometimes to take people out of their own day-to-day role in their own organization and say, right, pretend you are in a manufacturing organization or you're running this pipeline, infrastructure pipeline that's suffering a cyber attack it's a safer way for them to really challenge their own understanding and process and procedures and bring that back to their organization. So you sometimes in exercises, people will get quite defensive, like never happened to us. We've got this yeah. wonderful playbook. It would not, we've never, yeah. would never shut down social media because we've got all this wonderful and security type yeah. stuff that would never happen here. Yeah. But actually take yourself out of that. You're in a company that is suffering this as they had in real life experience and, they can take that learning and apply it back to their own role. I think it stops you from too. being defensive though, isn't yeah, it? Exactly like if that.
0: someone came to me and was like, oh, Kelly, or well, you didn't have this on your, your marketing wasn't set up yeah. you'd all of a sudden feel, oh, I'm being attacked and yeah. my department's being attacked and what I get wrong. Where I feel, yeah. where we've run it, Phil, when it's been not their industry or a well-known story that they've seen in the news, so they know it can happen. I mean, Uber happened, didn't it recently? Yeah. Like things do happen. We can't exactly. sit there and say it won't. I feel like it takes the barrier and it doesn't feel like it's personal. You're just going on the journey and trying to work it out. And without realising it, you're making decisions that you'd make for your own business, um, which I quite like about it.
2: Cyber resilience is more important than ever. The threats aren't going away. They're only increasing combination of new regulations, increasingly interconnected supply chains and dependencies. Now is the time to start building Your capabilities in this space and educating your workforce so that they are ready to respond right and everyone's just lived through covid so we've all gone through a big disruption and all come out the other side that's great what can we learn from that and apply to how we need to be agile and adaptable to a cyber threat which is going to be a lot faster it's going to have a much bigger impact in terms of our business Um, and then how do we how do we get the evidence that we're in a good place? And we, but we've got a journey of improvement. This isn't like one and done and finished forever. Like it's a that's it. I iteration. feel well,
0: from everything I've learned from this industry that cybersecurity is a journey. Yeah. There is absolutely no end goal to this. Yeah. This is just an evolution, and we're on the ride, and we're going with it, and new and things will yeah. come out. Um. So I think, yeah. I think everyone just needs to get involved in in how we can become more resilient
2: to it. If you can demonstrate that you've been working on this and you still suffer a cyber attack and with the hindsight, um, it looks like you might've made the wrong decisions. At least you can demonstrate that you were trying to build the resilience and you were learning from that. And you, that's, it's a constant journey. It's a constant evolution constant learning process but i would argue it's better to learn through a simulated platform than from real life that's the time to learn is is not through the actual crisis itself